0: Chapter four, you break up, but you give it just one more chance. I wonder, wonder who, 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 wrote the book of love? Oh, I wonder, wonder who, 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 who wrote the book of love? <laughs> well, that was awesome, and. um... You know, I've always had this thought that any, any love song would also make a perfect worship song um, because it's, that's how we live in, in love. Um, and it was, I asked Vince if he would be able to do that just because I wanted to see if we could answer that question. It's probably fairly obvious to you who wrote the book of love or at least who you think I might, have, might believe wrote the book of love. But, anyhow, that's what we're going to try to do today. I'm going to pray real quickly that we can accomplish some of that. Lord, help help me, help us um, listen to you. Help us believe you, to lean into this, to trust you. I pray for my friends here and those that are at home staying nice and warm. Lord, help us um, be brave. Help us examine some of our thoughts and ideas that we believe to be true, submit them to you. Amen. Well, happy Valentine's Day. And I say that knowing that not everybody has a partner, and I don't think you necessarily have to only celebrate Valentine's Day or this idea of love um, if you're partnered. Um, So I acknowledge that at least, that not for everybody is this a great day. For some, it's a reminder of loneliness. So, I'm glad you're here also. So I I want to tell you about when I first met my wife, April. Um, I was 18 and um, she and I happened to go to the same tiny little Bible college. It, It eventually became a a school here in the Denver area called Colorado Christian University, but at the time, that didn't exist. There were two small Bible colleges, Rockmont and the one I went to, which was the the, the better one we considered, um, which was Western Bible College, and there was, of course, this rivalry. But anyhow, Western Bible College, a total of, I don't know, there may have been maybe 300 students. And April was from the panhandle of Texas, and her dad was very good friends and grew up in in the same town as the president of our Bible College. So that's how April ended up there. And I, um, I noticed April, it's, I don't know that this, I don't, this is an exaggeration. I think others might confirm this, that April was probably the cutest gal on campus and the one that others kind of had noticed. And I was, none of those things. And, um, And never had been, like I had really never had a girlfriend, I was kind of geeky. But I, I had maybe a little advantage in some ways is I had figured out how to look like a really good Christian. And I leveraged this to my advantage. I was coming, I remember, there was at the end of Bellevue at that time, if you're from the Denver area, at the end of Bellevue there was was just, uh, just empty fields, now there's beautiful homes, but it was just empty and a little golf course, but it was a dirt road. And I was coming the back way from that dirt road to come back to school and I noticed this girl, who I'd noticed several times before, jogging. And there's only one long dirt driveway back into the school. And so I knew that at some moment she would be having to come back up that driveway. So I took my little VW bug and I slammed it to the floor and I got to my dorm as fast as I could and I went and grabbed my Bible. Now, this is a confession. This is not a good story. This is this is not an example to follow. This is not a how do you do this. But this is what I did. I went and grabbed my Bible because remember, I have only one thing going for me. I can maybe think she, get her to think I'm a good Christian and I can maybe get her to laugh. That's all I got. I'm putting all my eggs in those baskets. So I went and got my Bible and I ran back and there was a place outside the chapel with a little grassy hill where you could sit and appear both solitary but see everybody and they would see you as they're coming down that road. And that is what I did. I opened my Bible and pretended to have devotions so that when April drove by, she would think that's the man I should marry. Now, is that a, I mean, what a, people will say and ask the question, was it love at first sight for you? Now, I'm not going to get too specific. I'm not going to describe for you all the thoughts I had. But in our culture, I would have to in one way answer yes because I felt something unbelievable. And by the way, it's not bad what I felt. It's marvelous. It's it's part of being made in the image of God. I am positive. It was wonderful. And so to answer in our culture that question using the words we have available, I would probably have to say yes. But if somebody asked me, theologically, did I have love at first sight? I would say no. If if I'm listening to the person who wrote the book of love, as I read this passage, and in some ways the premise of my message or our conversation here today is this. I don't know if I've ever met someone who did not believe that they knew what love was, inside or outside of the faith. I think almost every person I've ever met believed they knew what love was. So it's confusing because it seems to me like one of the ways in which we could enter reading of the scriptures is that it answers the two most important questions of life who is god and what is love because those are the two greatest right love god and love him and others Um, if you have a sibling there are certain things that only happen between siblings for instance if you had a sibling and you went on a long car drive, no matter how many there were of you, you would evenly divide the back seat. That became your territory. That was clearly, you know, expressed before the road trip began or during the trip, this is my side. But what would you do then once you have delineated the sides as you would what? Get as close to that line as you could and on occasion because you were filled with love for your sibling, you would either put a hand or a little butt cheek over, right? There's another one, though. And it was this. It was, you know, in some kind of back-and-forth exchange and getting mad, you would hear someone say, you can't tell me what to do. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Breathe. My brother thought this was always the big winner. And I would try to hold my breath. And then when I... You did what I told you. If you're already pretty good at it, and you're doing it, it's not really like a command that you're following. If the scriptures are filled with helping us understand and learn about love, it's I believe, fair to come into that reading with this thought. Maybe I don't fully know and understand what love is. So I'll read our passage together. It is 1 John 4, 7-12. through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. You're perhaps familiar that in different languages, there are, in some languages, what we might have one word for, they might have several. I don't know this to be true. I've heard that, you know, we call everything snow, and in uh, first native people up north in Alaska, they have lots and lots of words for snow. Um, And perhaps you're familiar then with the idea that in the scripture there are a couple of words that we often just translate as love. I'm not going to say that what I'm saying is that there's perhaps this hierarchy of love. And I'm not saying that I think our inability to express what I believe to be biblical love is because we don't have enough words available. I really think it's because we don't think we've needed it. Because again, it goes back to the idea that I think we have this pretty good confidence that we understand it. This idea of love. Now, I'm not going to say what the words are. I don't, I, don't, I, I, I'm not, I don't have that ability. Maybe you can think of some good examples. But I wonder if maybe we might need three words. The word... The first word, the word that I think is most commonly understood as love in our culture is this. It is when something happens to me that releases an endorphin. It's a good thing. That's a great thing. And that's what we call love. That's why I can love at first sight my wife. Why? Because when she was running down that road... In those shorts. I felt something. Let's call that endorphin because this is church. Um, but it's, it's, it's a marvelous experience. But you know where this is going because you've heard these kinds of sermons because you see I also, I love pizza. What do I mean by that? It's when I eat pizza, I feel so good. It feels in my brain, in my um, endocrinology or whatever, I don't know what it is, something gets released that feels good. And I use that over and over and over, and therefore, when I do something for somebody, I'm relating it to the idea of what feels good. Here's a couple of other words we want to use. So that's the one way in which we use it. Fine. There is something that will happen to me. So the first one happens to me, releases endorphin. There's another w- love, again, I'm limited in language, that happens to me that does not release any endorphin. For instance, the Scriptures will talk often about God being a really good parent. And because he's a really good parent, what happens? He disciplines us. None of us in the moment of being disciplined are experiencing endorphins. I grew up in an age when it was legal to beat your children. And my parents took full advantage of that. And in fact, I grew up in an age when the neighbor could give you a whipping. If you lived in the South, I can't tell you how many times I went to the principal and got a whipping. How many times I went to the coat closet and the teacher gave me a whipping? And none of those times did I think, whew, I love that. Maybe there's other examples, but discipline works just fine. Is discipline a lesser love? And then there's another one. The first two are what happens to me, but the third one is what happens from me and what happens from me that often involves pain and is non-reciprocal, that I don't get an equal measure or anticipate getting an equal measure what was given that the giving is purely at the benefit of someone else. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So in this just one little couple of paragraphs, we begin to learn about love, it will become clear that the way this is being defined is not in the first two things that are endorphin-creating necessarily, but being defined as something that is painful and giving and non-reciprocal. That cannot be returned in an equal measure. If the Bible is, you know, f- full of this instruction of love, and somebody were to ask you, what's the most important thing the Bible says? A lot of Christians, a lot of us, would answer, I think, correctly, to say what I had said earlier, that um, we are to not only love God, but to love our neighbor, what comes next? As ourselves. We live in an interesting time. Billy Graham talked about that at the end of the um, Second World War, one of the reasons that a lot of the the Christian ministries began to see thousands and thousands of people come to Christ was the conversation could be understood in a way that the, the culture understood in that we are not God. I think the the experience of war, nobody comes back from war believing that they're all good and the other guys are all bad, even though that's kind of how we want to paint it. That there was such an, an, a national sense of sin and people wanted an answer for that. But what's happened now is it is more difficult to have a conversation introducing somebody to Jesus because we no longer live in a culture where people feel bad. In fact, maybe more than any time I can remember, almost everyone I meet is spiritual. They believe that they are in good standing spiritually. So, it has infected how we read the Bible. And I'll tell you why. You see, I've heard this verse currently have two applications. This idea that we love our neighbor as ourself. Here's the first very common way I hear that is when it is used as a rebuke of somebody who, in my experience, is not loving properly. So I, would, I say that, well, you know, you're supposed to be loving them as you love yourself. Often it is a person who's disagreeing with how another group of people might be treated. And of course they could be absolutely right that one group is not treating with love. But what I've noticed, it's very rarely a self-confession. It's very rarely a revelation of, oh my gosh, I'm not loving this person. I'm not very good at this idea of loving my neighbor. Will you, my community, help me? It's usually you guys aren't doing it right. My team is doing it right. But the other that is more troubling is that our spirituality, this idea of spirituality, to sort of emphasize my point today, has become person-centric, me-centric. And it has infected this verse, and this is how I know. This is why I'm saying this: is I've often heard that in fact there are three commands here: to love God, to love yourself, and love your neighbor. And then the teaching goes like this: that you can only love your neighbor at the level at which you yourself love yourself. That the action somehow gets a very quick U-turn and comes back in. Now. I think the Bible has tons to say about self-esteem and self-image. I do believe that God wants us to to live as his beloved and favorite children. I say favorite, because I mean everybody. But the experience of feeling like I'm, I'm special to him. Absolutely. But not from this passage. That's not what he's talking about at all, I don't think. What he's saying is, how would you answer that? What do you do when you're hungry? What do you do when you're hungry? Well, I mean, in our culture, we have the advantage to almost always answer, I eat. But even if you don't live in this culture, you live in another time or another place, you would say, I look to get food at least. As soon as I'm hungry, I begin to think about how I'm going to get food. If I'm cold, I think about where can I get warmth and I eat. I, by instinct, I don't, it's not a cognitive process. I do this because... I love myself, I'm not trying to love myself, it is what happens. I believe the way this passage is so important, this idea of loving others, is he's saying with that instinct, without thinking, without deliberating, should I or shouldn't I, is this good or bad? What am I gonna get in return? You just do this. That's what he's equating to love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of others in the way that you instinctively take care of you. Now, (laughs) I'm certainly not giving a message that says, because I've sort of laid out these words or these ideas or these values or principles, that somehow now that we're hearing this, this will be much easier. You know, we'll, we'll just do this now. And I'm sure I'm not saying anything that you have not heard in some other way. But it's an important enough topic to at least go over more than once. I'll, I'll go on. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This idea of love is so integrated with God that it is, for lack of a better word, it's a theological concept. And, and theology, like other sciences, even though that's, that's a crude way to talk about our love and understanding and wanting to know God, but sciences or areas of study are built upon previous concepts. So you, you, you don't become a, a mathematical genius and somehow not know and practice basic arithmetic. It takes learning arithmetic to learn your fractions, to learn your multiplications, to learn your geometry, to learn your algebra, to learn your advanced math. I think the Bible is doing the same thing. For example, I have often heard people say to me, Christians, I believe in the God of the New Testament. I believe in the God of love. I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament. I don't believe in a God. You fill in the blank. Here's the problem you see, theologically, we believe that God is not fractured. If you're a therapist, wanting to be a therapist, you'll You'll understand this idea that one of, our, one of the projects in life we have as we mature, as God makes us in the image of the Son, is to become an integrated person. That the parts of me which I've had to fracture off to survive in different situations, I can somehow begin to integrate all of that. I don't have to be this person here and this person there. I'm motivated by my own safety, and I learned as a child to protect myself by being that by presenting myself to one parent my parents were divorced as one type of person and to my dad who had a completely different sense of values as a different kind of person it's not wrong as a child because it kept me safe but as an adult i still do that it's because i'm fractured god is not fractured there is not a god of the old testament the new testament there is not a god who in the old testament we are learning stories of his holiness that is somehow not also a story of love. God does not, like you and I, ever try. You see, you and I try. I've gone to therapy because I'm trying to become integrated. God doesn't have to try, God is. That's that's his name, he is. (laughs) He never tries. He always is. And he's never fractured. He's never weighing who he's going to be like that day. He doesn't wake up in the morning and go, this is a good day for holiness. But God is holy. He doesn't wake up and go, I think today is a day of mercy. And he is merciful. Of course he is. But they're never separated from each other. And it it is almost like we tell the story that God finally woke up in a good mood and decided today will be the day of love, and we call that now the God that I will serve. Whenever we learn of God, and some of the stories are difficult, but again, we're learning arithmetic. Remember is not separated from who God is. This is the story of God. God is rooted, and God is love. The other part that becomes important to remember, and it's theological, is this idea as Christians, we believe we are Trinitarian. So we're monotheistic it means we believe in one god but we believe our one god has revealed himself and expresses himself and i don't even have the right words <laughs> i'm so limited when i try to explain the trinity i can't but it is how we have understood that god is whole and there's god the father and god the son and god the holy spirit and they are not separate but they are different and, well, we'll think about this another day, but for right now, let me just say why this is important. This word propitiation, some of your Bibles will say atonement, is the idea that, that somebody's paying the price for me. I think the Bible is fairly explicit that there is there's a cost to sin, the sin costs. And I think the Bible's pretty clear that God neither would want me to or I am able to make that cost, to make that payment. And so that God himself takes care of the debt. And again, all illustrations fall short of of true truth. But what's happened again in a spiritual world is there is a pretty growing group of Christians who will talk about that the atonement, this idea that Jesus died for sins, is not part of the story. And they explain it this way, they say, because you see, that would be exactly like this, it would be like your dad came home drunk, and you hid under the bed because you knew he was in a fury, but your older brother, he wasn't so lucky, he he got found first, and your Drunk dad just beat the crap out of him. And lucky you because he exhausted all of that anger against your older brother and had none left for you. Now, if you tell the story of atonement like that, well, sure. That doesn't sound very nice. That sounds terrible. Who would want to believe in that? That can't be God. Here's what you might forget because remember I was talking about we're building on I hate the word in some ways, theological ideas, that we are Trinitarian and God is integrated. He's not different people. And because he's integrated and because we are Trinitarian, in some weird way, all of God was at the cross. And all of God was willing to be given to the cross. And yet in some way, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit also had a different role to play, but not separate from each other. All that to say that if it is God who is beating, it is God who is suffering. Because that is our story. He came to suffer with us. How... how, How is this supposed to be helpful? Like how am I supposed to have theological ideas that when I leave here will matter? One, I don't want you correcting people who say they love pizza (laughs) and telling them that theologically that's not possible. Um, Because it's just a word we use and it works in some ways fine. But what I'd like for us to do is to pay attention to the times in which we might be called to something that is painful and non-reciprocal. And to begin to attach to that feeling, which usually will have a little bit of fear attached to it, and if we had all day, we could talk about later in this passage why it says that perfect love casts out fear and why it talks about us becoming love, that it's a process we learn, but anyhow, to come to the place where I perhaps recognize that when I have that flinching because something is going to be painful and not reciprocated, can I, on occasion, be willing to say, oh, that's love. When I I know my wife wants something that I don't want. When I know my neighbor who's not a nice person needs something. When I even know that what I feel like God would want me to do that is painful will not only not be reciprocated, it It will in fact come back poorly against me. In fact, it could even be used against me. That I begin to call that love. Well, happy Valentine's Day. So here's what I'd like for us to do. Before I I pray, closing prayer and then we participate in the greatest model of giving there is, I'd like us to sit quiet for a moment and just contemplate over the last little bit of time, is there a situation or a person where God is calling you that is painful and it, it's not going to be reciprocated? Lord, bring to mind those that you want us to love. Lord, I feel in my heart, my um, I feel a little fear, and I fear, I I, I, I keep defaulting to my sort of self-justification. Like as I maybe hear you speaking to me, I also have this idea of why I'm already okay in that area, or why I shouldn't, or why I don't have to, or whatever it may be. Oh Lord, I pray, that you who love us, who came up with the idea, who has gifted us with this, that um, you help us be brave and trust you with love, amen. As I said just a moment ago, it's, um, it's what we redo each week as we sort of recreate that last night of Jesus' life when in that Passion Week we learn more about love than we could learn in a lifetime of going to schools or self-help books. Because we we learn that it is the joy of God to give all of himself for us. In Hebrews it says it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. And what was the joy set before him? It was us. It was community. It was relationship. And so on the night that he was betrayed... Speaking of non-reciprocal, it says he broke the bread and he said this is my body which is broken for you. It's given for you. Remember me when you do this. And then later it said he took the cup and he said this cup it's the blood of the new covenant. This is what makes the new deal. A covenant is like a deal. and Covenants were often sanctified and, and, and commissioned by blood. And he said, this is my blood, which is my promise, my guarantee to you that I will take away your sin. And it's not on you. So, as you take the bread and you drink the blood, we receive the gift of the person of Jesus and our salvation. Those of you here, we have the cups that are at the side. And those of you at home, I hope you can find something also. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Amen. becomes